What's going on with you, man? Well, firstly, I have to say thank you so very much for inviting me onto your podcast tonight. Uh, Big Hurt, um, I was just before I came on, you were just telling a little bit about your story Mm -hmm. and about how uh, you got burnt as as a small child and everything. And I'd love for us to get into that story, first of all, because uh, I want to get a little bit of background about you. I mean, you found me on on social media and we don't really know each other and to be honest this is the first interview i'm ever doing with someone who i don't really know so <laughs> let's let's get a little bit about you and we're gonna get a little bit about me and like you said people don't really have enough conversation so let's get some conversation going tonight my brother all right so for one um i was in the fire when i was five in detroit um i was living in this really fucked up apartment that had caught on fire and uh, me and my little sister got stuck inside and I guess I, I want to say that was about 1995 I'm 30 now so I've been like this for 25 years or so and um I I guess I really was interested in talking to somebody else that's been through the same experiences like going through life and school I have been going through your page and like you just you seem like such a happy person you know like a you know is that your um your baby on your display picture yeah yeah like you know family kids like i guess so a, a lot of kids that have went through similar situations as us they get discouraged and they wouldn't exactly think that they could have the happy life like we have now so i wanted to just talk to you and see like what was it like growing up and like going through school to become the man you are today? Well, you see, like, I got to tell you a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, firstly, I've never attended school. Really? I've been living on I've been living on my own since I was 11 years old. I've been living on the streets of the Caribbean uh, since the age of 11. What happened was my mom's house got burnt down. My family got separated. I myself ended up living on the streets, um, sleeping on the sidewalks, eating from the trash cans, begging to survive. And what happened was one day I was sleeping on a park bench and some unknown person, they came up to me and they poured a bottle of acid on my face as I slept there. So that's how I got my burn at the age of 15 years old. Um, So I wasn't in school, but however, I can identify with as a young person suffering from such tremendous burn, such a horrific experience. It's very similar to to yourself, even though it's different circumstances. And um, the, 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 the taunts that I would receive from people, the scorn, uh, the name calling, um, the, 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 the scare, um, the, the fear that, that people will have in their hearts and their minds when they saw me. They would cross the road when they would see me. You know, they wouldn't even walk on the same part of the sidewalk as I would. So I could completely identify with that pain. But I didn't I didn't go the normal trend as to going to school. So I wasn't really in the middle of it like, like you were. So mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine what that might have been like for you to be to, to, to be forced into the situation where everyone Every single day, you're in an enclosed room with your peers who don't really understand, who mightn't even have the the uh, the the adult mentality to comprehend what you're going through as an individual dealing with 
these burns, you know. I, I know because I've been going through it now for, for 16 years. Now I'm 31 years old now and I've been going through it for a long while. So I, I could I could hardly comprehend what you might have gone through, my brother. Um, you, you have to be very strong. Um. Wow, I'm baffled. So you said you were 15 when that happened and somebody poured something on you while you were sleeping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first, just right there, like, did you ever, like, try to catch the person, like, report them to the police or anything? Did they get away? You know what? I'm originally from uh, Trinidad in the Caribbean. And um, I'll tell you exactly what happened at that time. Um, I went to the police station and the police said to me, they said, listen, look at your face. You need to go away from here. You're disturbing our food. I went to, to the local police station and they chased me away because of the look on because of, of the severity of the burn on my face. Uh, that was the level of discrimination I faced um, in Trinidad. Um, I was also living on the streets at the time, like I said, sleeping in the parks, eating from the trash can. No one took me seriously. No one took my case seriously obviously there were some people that, that took pity on me and and, and wanted to, to help me but the authorities um they did nothing and there was no systems in place at that time you know that's crazy so the person that did it just got off scot-free no they, harm about. yeah you, you know what like i've met so many people in my life that has said to me, Ramel, if I found this person, I would do this and I would do that to them if I only knew who it was. And yeah. as the as the years went by, as the years went by, Joshua, as the years went by, I started to, to say to myself that if I found that person, especially today, if I found that person right now who did this to me, I would run up to them, Joshua, and I would hug them and I would kiss them and I would thank them. Because you see, let, let, let me explain, let me explain, because they thought... I'd have the complete I'm going to jail. Joshua, Josh, no, let, let me break it down for you, Joshua. You see, they, they thought that they would do some evil to me and they would destroy my life. But I was 15 years old. I was living on the streets. I had no ambition. I've never been to school. But when that happened to me, you see, I thought I was like a pretty boy. I was living while living on the streets in Trinidad. I decided if you're going to eat from the trash cans, you might as well go live in the wealthiest neighborhoods and eat in the trash cans in the wealthiest neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So I started to mingle in the wealthy neighborhoods, always made sure I dressed properly and took care of myself, my hygiene and everything. And the wealthy kids started to pay attention to me. We started to hang out. Um, I thought that I would probably get one of those girls to be my girlfriend and their rich family would rescue me off of the streets. So when so when the acid was thrown on my face it was as if the one chance the one opportunity i saw for my rescue was taken away from me and it was at that point that i decided i needed to rescue myself i needed to pull myself out from the situation that i was in so when they tried to break me i used it as a stepping stool and i used it as a tool to make myself into the person who I am today. So what I did was I sat down and I wrote a book about my life story. And I wrote a book and I, I took all of the pain and all of the hardship, all of the suffering that I went through in my life, and I wrote it in a book. I, I got the idea while I was visiting some plastic surgeons in, in New York. 
I saw everyone in Times Square selling something. So I decided I was going to write this book and I was going to sell it. And I started to sell my story and I started to speak about my story and I started to use the pain to transform my life. And now the people who know me from when I used to live on the streets and I used to look up to them, now they look at me and they say, oh gosh, Romel, I wish I was you. You have the most amazing life. You are one of the most incredible people That's I have ever met. It was amazing. Cause I, I was expecting you to say that. Like I'm so fucking thrown off right now. Like I had questions that I fucked them questions. Cause I, I like it, it, I'm so thrown off. Like let me say, I guess my my experience in high school doesn't even compare. To be honest, you know, most kids they go through the teasing and bullying and shit like that. I, I got I got a little bit of that, but I've always been a bigger dude, you know. So I, I could always take care of myself. I think my yeah. challenge in school was probably with women i i couldn't pay a bitch to like me at all but like i, I won't say probably when i was 20 21 i finally broke out of that shell and started getting some but yeah high school and middle school and all that like i said i couldn't pay nobody to like me but to hear your experience i feel like my shit is minuscule now like it, it's literally it doesn't even compare so now you're 30 you say you're 31 now 31. are you married I am, you, you would say so. Everyone would think so. I, I'm engaged. I'm, I'm engaged. There's a there's a ring on her finger. Um, we have a baby together, uh, but we, we are not yet married. Um, COVID-19, it, it sort of put some dampen in our plans and everything like that. But uh, but yeah, we, we married. We, we, we married. She's my wife. <laughs> Same thing. So how did you meet your wife and how was that experience with trying to court her basically you know because I, I know for me it was i was shy i didn't really want to talk to nobody i didn't want them looking at my scars and shit like that like was there a sense of shyness or where you just had enough confidence to just go in all right so so i met my wife after i had built up a lot of confidence in myself i had to first work on myself but however like there was a long period of working on myself. So right. there was a lot of that shyness. There was a lot of that rejection. There was a lot of that um, girls thinking like, how dare he even think about looking to like me, you know? So I, I know a lot about what you're speaking about. And what I would say, what I would say is that you have to find the value in yourself. As long as you're able to find the value in yourself, then I promise you that someone will come along who will see that value in you and they would love you unconditionally for that value. I mean, from, I remember, oh my gosh, she might kill me for talking this, but it's not on my channel, so. <laughs> it's not on my channel. Um, I can do what I want tonight. Just, just I remember the, the, the first time I met my wife, the very, very first moment she met, we met she walked up to me and she introduced herself and she asked me what was my plans for the future if i wanted to have kids and how many she asked so you, you know you didn't run away the, 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 the very first question the very very first question as she introduced herself like because you see the thing is that she saw something in me you know the way how she described it is that throughout her entire life she was given a lot of love 
and she didn't know what to do with it. And the moment that she saw me, she knew that she was given that love to give to me, you know. So so I I was I was fortunate, but I had to search the world. I had to go through a lot of broken relationships. I had to go through a lot of heartbreaks. I had to go through a lot of every time um, you have an argument with, with a girl who you might be dating, uh, one of the first thing they bring up is the burn on, on, on your body and so forth. And I went through so much of that, you know. I don't want to name any numbers, <laughs> but, but I, I went through my, my, my fair share, my fair share of, of that. I have to, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's almost like it's hard to even trust somebody you're with because you know they always have this this little tool in their back pocket to pull out on you at any time, try to make you feel bad in some way. I think I, I got over that feeling bad stage, at, like I said, in my 20s, because for some reason I started getting conceited out of nowhere. And yeah. it just stuck. But I feel like my level of conceitedness is also a mask for actually the pain that I went through a lot when I was younger. And I'm sure you can understand that. And it's like, yeah. now I'm battling with, is this actually who I am or am I still masking some stuff? And I don't know how to let go of it. You know, I am um, the exact same. I'm still trying to, uh, I don't even know who I am. I've never been able to discover myself because, like I said, I started to live on the streets when I was 11 years old. And at that time, I started to smoke weed. And uh, from that point in time to now, like, I've had, I don't think I ever went a week without it, you know? Um, so. Now are you using weed as a recreational thing or is it? to help psychologically no for yeah for me it's psychological medicational for me because um me too. you know people people like us we go through a lot of trauma we go through a lot of stress and there's um you know a lot of times we don't speak about it especially especially men especially uh strong black men like ourselves mm -hmm. um we, we we don't really talk about the psychological impact that things has on us uh the things that the trauma that we went through in our past we just carry on um you know with a brave strong face uh, but but we face a lot and we go through a lot and every single day every night if it's the the someone sometimes sometimes joshua i might be walking down the street and it have two people walking on the other side of the road and they suddenly start to laugh amongst themselves about whatever they're laughing at but you know those voices in your head they start to tell you like oh look at these people they're laughing at the burn on your face you know uh they they, they laugh they laughing at your situation have you ever like I, I had those same problems right but sometimes i i get extra critical and i go deeper and i think hold on josh are you overthinking it are you thinking about something they're not even thinking about like maybe you got something on your shirt maybe you're not even thinking about you and they just happen to have been laughing at the same time <laughs> exactly that type of shit will drive you insane Literally. it almost did it almost did it almost did joshua i'm telling you is I, I attempted suicide three times because it it, it it almost drove me insane and if if destiny didn't have a plan and a purpose for me being here then i definitely would not have been here um the, the times that the times that i survived suicide you could only say that it was god himself that intervened and preserved my life that there's no other explanation for it if we have some time i could go through a little bit more about my story with you but that 
All right, so let, let's discuss the first time. So I got this burn on my face 2004. Uh, in 2006, I was standing on my street and I was convinced that my life could never get better. My face, it was at its worst. Um, I saw no hope. Everyone was scorning me. Um, it, it, it was just painful. Taxis didn't used to pick me up. Bus drivers did not allow me to get on the bus. Uh, restaurant owners, they, they, they didn't allow me into the restaurants. They started putting up signs that says, management reserved the right to refuse admission. Everyone ordered a sign just for me, just to keep me out of their establishment, you know? So I was standing on the sidewalk one day and I saw a gas carrier truck, one of those uh, 16 wheeler trucks coming in my direction. And that truck was speeding and I could see in my mind, I could see my end and I could see that truck just hitting me and I could see all of my problems over, you know? Mm -hmm. So when that truck was like 10 feet away from me, I just ran out in front of the road and the tires started to screech and I closed my eyes and my hands were stretched out like this. And Joshua, I kid you not, I started to smell engine oil. And I opened my eyes and that truck, it was just stopped right there in front of my face. Not even the truck driver could have believed that that truck stopped there. He got out the truck and he started to look behind the truck and below the truck. He was looking for my dead body. And I was standing there speechless in front of that truck. It, it, I, Joshua, I'm not a religious person, um, but... I have to say that there was some higher power. There was some God that intervened in my situation that day. Two years later, I tried to hang myself in a dark alley. And as I'm hanging and the life is escaping from my lungs, a, a homeless crack addict comes out from the darkness and the shadows in the alley and start to push my legs up and start to tell me, you can't die, you can't die now, you know? And this guy, this guy, he saved my life. You know, uh, a third time I took some, I was digging in the trash can looking for some food and I, I found some, some prescription pills and I took these prescription pills and I passed out and I woke up in ICU. And when I woke up in ICU, I knew that I was not to try to end my life anymore. I knew that there was some plan and some purpose. And from there, I started to put, uh, I started to put pen to paper and sat down and develop a plan for my life as to how I was going to rescue myself from the situation that I was in. From that day, I have never looked back. I have continued on that course and I am exactly where I wanted to be. You know, when I look back, uh, that was 2009. When I look back to my 10-year plan, 2019, in 2019, I should have spent at least about five years in America and five years in Europe. Um, now I've been living in the UK for the past three years. I spent four and a half years in the United States from, from a, a boy sleeping on the road with no family who can't get a visa i traveled all of them well not all of america 20 20 uh, states 105 cities i traveled through uh los angeles through miami through ohio through new york i traveled uh through north carolina uh chicago uh, 
20, 20 states, 105 cities, Joshua. Uh, I came up with a plan that I was going to rescue my life. And you see, I'm sharing all of this because I want to inspire and I want to encourage you and all of your listeners that no matter what situation they might be facing, no matter how down they might think they could be, like they have whatever they need within them, within each and every person. You have whatever you need to succeed. All you have to do is believe in yourself, sit down with a plan and work on your plan and stay focused and you will reach where you're trying to go the hard work it will pay off so do you think now that you're older and you understand everything that you went through do you think back then it was more of like a, a psychological thing like some people will say trying to commit suicide oh yeah definitely yeah definitely definitely i think my mind was my biggest enemy uh, i think that um 90% of the people, they were not talking about me. Obviously, there, there was the obvious ones, but the not so obvious ones, 90% of them, they were not talking about me. But you see, you have you have this thing in this 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 thing in your mind that tries to make you think that you're not good enough, that try to make you think that, that you you're not handsome enough, that try to make you think that you're not smart enough, that try to make you think that everybody else is against you. But you have to stand up and say that listen, no, no matter what, I'm good enough for me. I'm smart enough for me. I'm handsome enough for me. And I want me. I don't care what anybody else think. And the more you shut that 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 voice down, is the more your voice is gonna grow and your confidence is gonna grow and your success is gonna grow. Okay, so now that you're older and you clearly understand yourself a little bit more, and you have this child now, and you brought this child into life, do you ever wonder about that conversation you're going to have with them when they get older and they ask questions um you know on, on, honestly i i did think about it a couple of times like i i wonder how that conversation will go if one day he would ask me but um i'll tell you something um while i was living on the streets when i got the burn I was living in this community where all of the kids and all of the families, everybody loved me because I was always well-mannered, respectful. I will always help anyone. I will help the old ladies carry their market bags. I will help the blind guy cross the street every day and mm -hmm. so forth. So, so there were kids who were around me at, at the point where the burning was really bad. And to them, it, it didn't matter. To them, I was the same Rommel, and um, they they loved being around me. They loved uh, spending as much time as possible with me, and they they never once asked me about my face, you know. So I'm I'm hoping for that kind of reaction with my son. Okay, I have a question. So about that community, um, was it a diverse community, majority white, majority black? Because of my experiences you find the different type of looks and stares and conversations about you in different areas that is that is 100 true that is 100 true but but not only not only the different uh ethnic communities uh the or the different cosmopolitan makeup but also the the socio-economic makeup as well you find the different stairs like let's just be plain amongst poor people you will get more stairs mm -hmm. whether they're white black indian chinese syrian no matter what they are amongst poor people amongst uh, people with uh with a uh, not such a great quality access to education mm -hmm. 
you you would you would you would find you would find more stairs so i grew up in an area like i said uh, i chose i was living on the streets so i decided to choose the neighborhood that i would live on the streets so i lived in the most cosmopolitan the most multicultural area but it was also one of the most financially well-off areas um in the country so i had that um where a lot of the people they traveled a lot they, they had a lot of experiences and so forth so um, after a while um, it became quite normal for the parents and also for the children to function around me but if i was to step out of if i was to go five ten minutes drive out of that community then the reality the reality started to hit in and depression would soon sink in you know yeah for sure so um how was it like when you started applying for jobs and having to have those interviews with people and new co-workers and having to start all over again with the introduction process and all over again telling a million stories about what happened and all of that well you see that's that's the thing about about me josh well like i decided i decided that life taught it was gonna screw me over and I made the decision I was going to screw life and I was going to screw it good. So every time I, I stand up in a new job, and if I go for a job, every time I stand up in an interview, like it's a pleasure for me to tell you my story because I know that you're going to be inspired by my story. I know that you're going to be touched by my story, but more so I know you're going to want a person like me on your team in your organization. You're going to want me working for you. So I just, I just take the opportunity to, like I said, if I meet that person, I would thank them because i take every single opportunity that is afforded me to turn this around and to use it for my benefit and that is what i do see i did the complete opposite i got it got to a point where i got tired of saying the same shit all over again so i try my best not to have an attitude all the time but then it got to a point where i would just walk around in my daily life with an attitude and i, I couldn't shake that shit until i got older now i'm in a way happier place a way better mindset but when I was younger, just getting into the workforce and applications and interviews and shit is like, okay, stop. Don't even ask me. Like, can we not think about this? I'm a good worker. Just think about that. But then you have to understand that this is real life and people want to know shit. Yeah. And you see, you see, I, I knew I was going to face that challenge and I knew I was going to run into that stumbling block like you did, especially when I was younger. So I took a different approach. I decided that I was, I was not going to go work for anyone. Like I said, I wrote my book and, you know, with the thing with telling the story over and over and over, you know, people, every time they see me, they ask me what happened to your face, what happened, what's your story? So I decided that I was going on a mission to tell my story 10,000 times. So every time I met someone and they asked me or they were interested in my story, then I could take one off on my 10,000. So it became a mission for me and it became an excitement and a joy for me to use it but also it became a money maker for me as well it became my financial uh it became my paycheck 
tell them my story because I wrote my book and people, they, they would buy your book even if they don't want to read it just because you have an interesting story. Yeah. They would invite me to speak in their churches and their community groups and their, in their youth gatherings and in their social parties. They would invite me to their homes for dinner to come and speak to their families. And I, I, I started a website. And I started uh, marketing on Facebook and so forth. And I started pushing my myself and pushing my story and really marketing my testimony. And instead of going and get it a, a job, I used it to travel the world and just travel and tell my story, you know? I really have been trying to do that same thing. And um, I found it so hard to actually get to write a book, to actually write it down. Of course, everybody thinks they can just write a book. That shit is not easy. <laughs> like, to actually <laughs> sit there and write a fucking book it is so damn hard. Oh. I've been trying to write a book probably since I was 10 years old. And I used to start off a little yeah. bit of stories and shit. So I'm actually in that same process of trying to tell a life story because I feel like not only for people that are burn victims, just black men in general, trying to get along in this world i i can help them with that and definitely not just black men ev everyone your best friend is a white boy well i'm sorry i don't know that but i in, in your videos i was watching some of your videos and i don't know if it's a skit but i know like definitely like you you, you live in a multicultural society just like i do my best friend is a white boy yeah. my best friend is a white boy i can tell you that you know and I, I'm, a, I'm a black liberation ideologist but also i live in a multicultural society mm -hmm. yeah and especially right now it's so hard having white friends and like admitting it <laughs> like nobody nobody wants to hear that shit right now and i, I the skit that <laughs> that's seen, so true yeah the skit you seen on youtube it was just i happened to have been having a conversation with one of my white friends and it was we just came up with the idea and he's like man you got to do that that's hilarious and but yeah I, I grew up in fucking detroit michigan and then when i moved from detroit michigan out to Belleville because I happened to, I got kicked out of every single Detroit public school as a kid after I got into the fire because yeah getting in fights I kept fighting people I got yeah. so my mom was like all right your last choice is to move you out to the country with the white people if you fight then you got to go to Tennessee I'm like all right so we moved out to Belleville and I've been cool since and like I've met so many different people all different colored people and I refuse to give up my friendships because of the ide ideology of what's going on right now exactly exactly uh, because you don't like you said in your skit there um at least the the one um you did that one skit about um black studies class first day first day of black studies classes and like you said in that speech there then if we continue if we just mirror that hate then we just continue in what has been passed on or what has been projected on us you know um so we're not going to continue that like we know that um and we we, we are one of the most uh, educated uh generations that ever existed we have uh, information at our fingertips we know um, that we are to be proud of who we are but we also know that everyone else came out from us and we are to love everybody at least we are to love who love us love who love you because sometimes and i hate to say it but but sometimes uh joshua sometimes black people is their biggest enemy and their biggest fight down uh sometimes you you know, so you have to love who love you. You have to always love your people and support your people like every other ethnic tribe do. Um, but you also have to, you can't just put yourself in a box. Yeah. I refuse to put myself in a box. Yeah, you have to be realistic. I think we're in a place right now where being realistic is really hard to do because 
it's hard to forget how much hatred there really is. It's in we're in an era right now where everything is being filmed. And I tried to explain that to my white friend that um because he was actually asking me about you know white privilege and stuff, and I'm not gonna get too super deep into it, but we were just having a conversation. And um he was asking me exactly what white privilege was, and I had to just explain it to him the simplest way possible that the privilege to not have to worry, the privilege to not have to guess, because he's like Josh, you know, you know, you grew up with me. I've worked hard. I've struggled for everything, too. That's cool. That's an American thing that has nothing to do with your privilege. Your privilege is the fact that you don't have to second guess yourself at all about certain things in certain places. You don't have to walk into a McDonald's by yourself and get stared at because people think you might rob this place when you really just want a fucking chicken. <laughs> it's so simple. So I just had to explain that to him. But your story, back to what we were talking about, I didn't even know it was going to be as inspirational as it was. <laughs> I did not even expect to have this kind of conversation. And I definitely want to talk to you again about this. I want to actually get, you think we could do a part two? Definitely, bro. You can? Definitely. As long as, I have, as long as I'm free, you know, just hit me up. I'm sorry it took us so long to even get this this one together. Uh, but it, it's a pleasure, especially knowing that this is the pilot series of you first time you're streaming uh, live here. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing a sports talk in like 15 minutes. That's why I'm trying to wrap this one up. Right. Yes. I'm going to do another one with you and definitely talk some more. So we're going to have to set that up sometime and we're going to get this part two cracking. All right, man. I appreciate you. Yes, bro.